From painting portraits to painting the inside of a peach. I'm Eliza Jansen. I'm Noah Jansen. I'm Meg Jansen. And I'm Anthony Carr. Yahoo! And this is Twin Picks. Gosh, I love movies. Before starting the podcast today, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I am recording, which are the Paiute Indians of Mammoth Lakes. And we here in Melbourne would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which myself and Meg and Anthony are now recording, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Twin Peaks, a show where a pair of actual real-life human twins and me make a double feature out of two movies that share some sort of similarity, and then we decide which one does its job better. Hey, hey. And we're here. We are. After Christmas, on the mm. eve of 2021. Is this a no, new... No, it's not. What app does, when does this release? It's the 29th, Eliza. It's not the eve of anything. But would it release on the eve Yeah, but it's of... like the last couple of days, you know. Oh, yeah, it's the eve the of the vibe of, of 2021. Yeah. But actually, won't it release yeah. after? It will, yeah. It will come so out this is the on first, the third. This first is the first the episode of the new year. Yeah. yeah. Think about this. When this episode comes out, COVID will be gone yeah. completely. Trump yeah. will be out of Woo. office and replaced Everything by Bernie. Will be Everything good. is b- better and I fixed. can't wait to have no more problems. Yeah, Literally, it's all going to so be good excited. again. Yeah. Are you guys going <laughs> to celebrate New Year's Eve? I don't I know. Eventually. I don't want to tempt fate. I'm going hard. <laughs> Literally from like 1 p.m. to whatever the a.m. I'm going to go to will be. It's just going to be nonstop. I'm going to look cute. I'm going to wear my jewellery that mum hates. Aww. It's going to be great. Incredible. Noah started, um, yeah, accessorising. Mum really doesn't like it. I started him. being myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is the real him. We <laughs> him mum does not like him. <laughs> mum hates him. <laughs> no, love you, mum. I'm kidding. She's a great what girl. About she really is. our amazing sound engineer who for this episode... Made this suggestion of these two movies. Yeah, that's right. What are you up to for New Year's Eve, Anthony? We love this boy, Gaston. Yeah, I'm. I'm just going. I'm. I'm doing a pretty normie one. I'm just going to a house party of a a good friend that I know through VCA. Do you know um, Keandra Forrest from? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Shout out. She's having a big shindig at her house. Keandra. Shout out to everyone who's listening who wasn't invited. Do you want to have some (laughs) podcasters to the party? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Great. No, but I am sad I wasn't invited. Um, (laughs) You're so welcome. (laughs) Absolutely imagine. No, of course not. Yeah, no, it's like a big burlesque theme type thing. Oh, so there's going to be lots of fancy like, stuff happening. Like, yeah. Do you get to sing burlesque songs? Like, uh, not burlesque songs, Wagon but songs from the movie. Wagon Wheel White Tulsi. I believe there will be performances throughout the evening. Yeah, yeah that's cold. what I've been told. It's a cold and jimmy night. I don't know what the Gosh, word is. this is too... Do you, think, um, do you think in the movie Burlesque there are too many songs that are called like, it's burlesque, let's burlesque, it's time to burlesque, come on, baby, burlesque, But at least in burlesque they're like diegetic so it makes a bit more sense because The Greatest Showman is exactly the same. All the songs are like that it's but The, the Greatest, greatest Showman, show. they're supposed to serve the plot. I don't know, I just got a little bit of Greatest yeah. Showman hate in there. <laughs> yeah, good job, no. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you for bringing in these movies, Anthony, because I of have course. a feeling this app is going to go off. Like, people I'm are going to love it. I love people these People love these movies. Like, Eliza, what are we them. talking about today? We are talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, directed by Celine Schiama, and Call Me By Your Name, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Um, and there's, there's actually, like, a lot of um, plot and connections between both movies loads of similarities um, yeah i think the main thing is just they both have come out in the past couple of years and they're both really highly acclaimed queer love stories right that's like the yeah, thing that comes to mind i think so mm, totally the big one we'll talk about it in comparing the picks but also like the final moments of both of these movies are identical Oof. Mm. like identical mm. in what they are like trying to convey and the way they do it even yeah. the fire credits, motif, credits fire motif. Yeah, very true. They both Ooh. hinge upon like European context. Yeah. yeah. 
They very both have lush. like a meditative look, like a very like calming, they but also very sad and melancholy. Both period films? Too. Yeah, they are period films. That's true. Call Me By Your Name is set in 1983. Portrait Lady in Fire is just like late 1800s. Isn't it 84? No. I have a feeling it's 84. Oh, come or on. Are we really going to call her out Yeah. For that? Anyway, well, while we no, go Wonder into Woman, it. No, that's Wonder Woman. That's my favorite movie. <laughs> that's my favorite film, Wonder Woman 84. Hey, I saw a tweet that's so true that said Wonder Woman 84 is called that because they couldn't call it Wonder Woman 2 because then its a acronym would be World War II. Oh, How interesting is that? That's a good point. Wow. Yeah, Random. that's clever. Good for that's them. Like, good for well them. Done. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. I'm keen. I want to hear from Anthony first. How come? Um, oh, yes, of course. Was oh, there another reason you I'm picked sorry. these? Or. Like, I th- I think, do you have a particular phase going in? Uh, well, I do, but I'm not going to reveal it because I think Ooh, it'll yes. probably play into my decision at the end. But well, this, or this maybe it's going to be Who one knows? of those great episodes where it's like, which one's going to win? I yeah, reckon. it's I a it's real, real na- nail biter. But yeah, yeah, I think I suggested these just because I think actually the main reason is because I felt I was a bit late to the party with um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I saw it way, way after it came out. Um, I saw it mid this year for the first time, and um. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I was just like, yeah, we'll have to pair that with something. And they've both come out recently and, as you say, mm. are very connected. And also we've we've talked about both of them on the podcast before but not in their own episodes, only as part of um, yeah. Best Films of last year, actually. Yeah, They're in a bunch of people's wrap-ups. Yeah, so. time we give them their due. Exactly. Do it. Me by your name. It's came out in 2017. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. I believe it just won Best Adapted Screenplay for its screenplay by James Ivory. And it's directed by Luca Guadagnino. And this film um, is about the romance between a little boy caught between Europe and the US, Elio, played by Timothy Chalamet in like his breakout role, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. And he happens to fall in love and come of age in one luscious Italian summer filled with fruit and romance and cummy peaches. Ew. And he falls in love with <laughs> sorry. He falls in love with his um professor dad's American um uh exchange student. Or like, yeah, like TA or something. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, I think Max is just talking about cum in the background. <laughs> I don't know if the microphone caught that, but we'll just cut that. Uh, what a guy. What a man. <laughs> yes. But um, I think a good um, way to enter talking about both of these movies, a real highlight of both of them is their amazing music. Mm. And I think I'll start by asking Anthony, are you a Sufjan fan? And oh, how mm. do you feel about this music's beautiful, this movie's amazing yeah, Im- original song. immense fan of his work. I haven't... I I don't know like his whole catalogue very well or anything, but certainly his more recent albums I know extremely well. Um, and the, his album that I like the best is his second most recent one called um, Carrie and Lowell, which is very much in the same sort of instrumental style as his score for this film. It's very like finger-picked mm. folk guitar and like multi-tracked vocals, heavy and that sort of stuff, whereas some of his other stuff is like super electronic and like all over the shop genre-wise. But yeah, um, yeah absolutely gorgeous. And, um, and yeah, same for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The uh, score is equally incredible but extremely different. But mm. um, I love Sufjan. He taught me what it is to be sad. As a as a <laughs> not super <laughs> musical boy, as you guys know, like most you of my did mu- music theater at uni. I know. No, I just mean like as in like most of my music <laughs> taste comes from you guys. Oh, right. Sufjan Stevens, popular music, and the, yeah, popular mm. music. The Sufjan Stevens and the and the score for this movie and the soundtrack were like <laughs> one of the first times in a movie that I was like. Oh my god, that is like incredible! And I listened to it on the way home, and I would like mm. listen to it when I was doing my release work after dance classes at you at, uni, I don't at think my we music theatre course. That. I don't think we should include that release work. No, it's what in there. The my hell? release work. Well, you know, make after dance class the muscles they need to. You mean stretching? Yeah. No, it's oh it, like we call it release. I release. actually don't want to talk too much more about it because I can't remember anything about it. <laughs> There's enough release work in these films myself. already. It's a good thing that majority of the people <laughs> yeah. who listen to this podcast are from VCA. Are from VCA. They'll, They'll be like, like oh, yeah, yes, release, respect. Release. But like, I don't what? know enough, enough about why we did it, honestly. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Um, yeah, what a film. I actually think this movie, a great like signifier of how incredible this movie is, is that 
so many people our age, every single person our age has seen this movie, loves this movie, and it's a two-hour, like, not day in the life, but that, like, the tone of it is that, like, just watch a life take place, watch Mm. someone going about their summer. And everybody my age has seen this movie and adores this movie. And I'm like, that says something. Like, that is so incredible that a movie like this could do that, you know? I think the thing that stands out the most for me with Call Me By Your Name is how erotic it is and how how it is so erotic in a very almost romantic way. Like usually even a few years before this came out, I would have thought of seeing this film or a film like it with like my mum where you literally someone see someone who's like wiping like their emission off of their chest or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, like they're really like there's abrasive, very visceral sexual imagery within this, but it doesn't overshadow the inherent romanticism and like the purity of the love that they share and like the fact of this being a really um you know it containing some confronting sexual imagery does not at all detract from the message if anything it just um you know it welcomes you into like the journey of um elio's like sexual awakening like it's not an abrasive image although i think yeah even a few years before it came out someone conceptually you might have heard someone talking about it and been like oh I don't know if I could see that like I don't know if I is like is that something totally, I could yeah. deal with on screen or whatever oh I feel yeah. like it's actually quite or it would definitely quite... oh no 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 you go I'm sorry you go ahead <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I feel like it's quite <laughs> true to life in the sense that it like in the way that it blends like the sort of romanticism and mm-hmm. the like more um sexual aspects of the film and stuff in that it's quite like I feel like in in real life often, I mean, for people who are in like sexual relationships and particularly like longer term relationships as well, like it's things usually are like blended between those two spaces and stuff. Whereas like, yeah, whereas in a lot of cinema, it's like, yeah, either kind of like predominantly romantic or predominantly sexual. And that's like the tone of the film. And it's like, it, Mm. it sets up a lot of your expectations. Whereas the way that this is blended actually, I think really um, benefits that like day in the life structure that you were sort of talking about before in the sense that it makes it harder to anticipate what's going to happen because they're yeah. like they're just it's it's more about the details of the relationship that they explore rather than like the like uh, act of sex or like yeah, the act yeah. of being in love or whatever yeah, yeah totally. I think I agree with that I also wonder whether this narrative could have played out in any context other than the lush sort of Italian um yeah environment like I don't see this film being like its story existing anywhere else mm. oh yeah totally well i i think sorry i want to get back to, and eliza had something to say before and i'll get back to you quickly but i i totally agree that there's just this that you really get the sense that it's like this is one summer in one boy's life yeah. that only could have happened to this one boy in this one point in time and literally i feel like almost the kind of complicated nature of you know, we talk a bit more now a few years after it's released about the fact that he's 17 and Oliver's 24. And I think it is a movie about being like, this is just a complicated thing that happened that nobody knew was going to happen. And I think it's interesting watching it. I was really thinking about how cinematically you can show romance in so many different ways. Like the way that a pretty woman shows romance is through like a wit and a banter. And the way that this movie shows romance and the portrait of Lady on Fire definitely shows romance is like the little moments where one person rejects the other person or like makes a little advance or does a little touch or gives a little look. Yeah. And like I something that was really special to me this time on my like sixth rewatch or something that made me realize I can't wait to grow up with this movie is and like come back to it is every time I watch it, I get something different from it. I've been thinking a lot this year about how like people are always projecting like when people judge someone or when people are annoyed at someone or angry at someone, it's always just a reflection on themselves. And the first half of this movie, I was like, Oh my God, he's such a stupid little boy. Like he's (laughs) so intimidated by Oliver's confidence. He's Mm. so like, he looks at this man who like is so sure of himself and doesn't apologize for himself and is so confident and unabashedly incredible. And for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the movie, Elio like, 
you know, gives him the cold shoulder and like rejects him and is cold to him. And it's so sweet because then you see that just being like, he's looking up to him as like, oh my God, imagine if I could be like that. And then by the end of the movie, when he's calling him on the phone, you're like, oh, he's growing into his own man. Like Mm. he's learning about life himself. Like Mm. as I was sitting with mum watching the fireplace scene, we were both saying like, oh, when he does the little smile at the end and he's learning about what life is. Like life is difficult decisions and how you deal with them. Mm. A close friend of mine, Tilly, is um, queer and she's forever talking about how like she thinks that a lot of what defines the lesbian experience is like being unsure whether or not you want to be with someone or whether or not you want to be someone. And like I feel like that's a pretty defining mood of the beginning of this film. That is so interesting. He sort of sees him as like a role model in that there's a weird sort of mixed aspiration it is complicated towards it is him. complicated because yeah. then yeah. there's and and oliver recognizes that like he recognizes that there's like an imbalance of authority or some idea he says constantly i don't want to mess you up it is complicated sorry liza mm. what did you have to say i was gonna say um it's right there in the title what you're talking about anthony as well like um yeah absolutely at first i i guess i didn't uh, call me by your name. The title is something that I've only picked up on. I think the second time I watched it, I always struggle with the title. Yeah, I've yeah. always struggled with the title too. Yeah, but it comes up in um. It, we'll talk about it again. I reckon in Portrait of Lady on Fire, mm. that thing that I think maybe it can only happen in a same-sex relationship where you're like, oh, like you can kind of take parts of the other person's identity, okay, yeah. um, in a way that like I think we assume you can't do in a hetero relationship, like mm. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, not just in like a physiological it, sense or whatever, but yeah. in a like the sort of cultural yeah. spheres that you occupy as like being uh, as identifying and being like outward, mm. outwardly uh, demonstrating a certain gender's characteristics and yeah. stuff. That I like, think yeah. that's also an interesting thing that um, sort of comes up with the the age discrepancy between Oliver and Elio. Um, I know, like in queer culture, particularly mm. for like gay men. Um, it is quite common sort of for gay exactly. men who are just coming out to sort of be ushered into their sexuality by older men. Literally. And it's almost, I think you sort of do see it here, it's almost like a like a mentoring position or something. And, um, you know, that, that um, interplay between Elio and Ol- Oliver at the start where it does seem like Elio is critical of Oliver's, what he terms arrogance, but actually just his self-acceptance and his comfort with himself and who he is. Um, and that is something that he grows into by the end of the film and that's some, it's something that Oliver sort of ushers him yeah. towards. Which I think despite like both the, the numerous similarities between both films is actually a key difference between the two is that in Portrait of a Lady on yeah. Fire there is not one person having come from sort of like an established understanding of their of own their sexuality and the way that yeah. that plays out in society and stuff and being able to sort of like gently introduce someone into that world that they're yeah. already a part of. They're very much both like entering it with no um no roadmap yeah. of like how to live that life yeah uh, I think laid out for them it does it does also mean that it's hard for us to speak about because obviously I'm not a gay man I can't speak about this experience I want to be critical of it because technically a 17 year old and a 24 year old should absolutely not be having any kind of romantic relationship or a sexual relationship but the nuance is there, especially within the context, especially because, you know, today is, is very different to like even 10 years ago, how we would have viewed the discrepancy between the ages. And like, I understand that not to be like, un, you know, gratuitously kind to like the discrepancy, but I think we just, yeah, we have to be mindful of the different like power mm. and the dynamic between the two. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I think there's also this ongoing like um, theme and like visual motif in the film of like um, classics and like archaeology and stuff and Michael Stuhlbarg's character being an archaeology professor and digging up these like sexy like Mm. buff Greek sculptures Uh, or whatever. I think that has um, a lot to add to that theme of like this idea of like a very masculine and like weirdly pragmatic like idea of like love and admiration between dudes being like oh, of course I'll have, like, a manservant that I have sex with. Like, that's how it was in, like, these ancient societies. Mm. And I think the fact that they talk about in this movie and Oliver, like, that's his, you know, research work that he's doing. Like, I think that's something you're meant to kind of hold in the back of your mind as well. That it's, like, in, like, as much as, as Noah said, the film is about this one temporal quick summer. It's also, like, 
you know, looking back at all of time and thinking like, wow, people have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. Like there's always been relationships like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, that, and, that and I don't think, yeah, I don't think it think... absolves like, yeah. I was just going to say, I don't think it absolves my like, I do feel a bit queasy about the age difference somewhat. Mm. Like, mm. I don't know if I'll get over that. But yeah, um, totally. I think it's it's not ignored by the film at all. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I, I also just think I'm interested to talk later on with both of these films about, we've had a great talk about like the, the text of the thing kind of itself, but I think what's going to push me over the line maybe with my vote is just like what the experience of watching both of these films is for me in the sense that there is like the filmmaking and talent and skill on display in this film is like glorious to me. Like this film, I've watched it before and not even had to connect that much to the text and just been felt like I've been on a holiday. Like the warmth of the cinematography, Timothy Chalamet in particular and Army Hammer just giving like the most gorgeous performances and just like bouncing off each other so much and watching also a film where clearly it's been made in a less American sense and in the more European sense of being like, let's have a play. Like, let's play with this scene. What's this going to look like? Why don't you try doing this? Like you just w- watch the scenes and you're like, this is a whole crew on a set for a summer. And they got to lo- learn and grow with this role. And you kind of just watch, I think with Timmy, you watch him grow as an actor, even throughout the movie. I'm like, look, as Timmy! as Ellie gets more comfortable, so does you, do you as an actor. I think it's incredible. I, I just think, think it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Short, like quick criticism that I do have of, of this film before we move on would be that as beautiful and touching as it is, so much of it is because of the like inaccessible um, like context and the heightened privilege they exist within the film doesn't in in a in a very positive way like the discussion that Elio has at the end with his dad where his dad's explaining to him you know his sort of ambiguous own sexuality and his acceptance of it and you know sort of is saying to him like you just need to accept yourself and this is a beautiful thing and mourn the loss and everything like that's beautiful but I don't know obviously I can't speak to it because I am straight but as a queer person how um I'm sure it'd be you know very idyllic but would it be super comforting to watch something like that because is it that relatable like I know oh, yeah I a mean lot of people this would... is like the dream coming out right yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, we know exactly. and we're cool with it and we think he's hot too yeah <laughs> like, exactly oh <laughs> so as much as I see this movie as like a beautiful like a beautiful fixture of the queer cinema. I don't know that it is the most, it's certainly, I couldn't say it would be a relatable representation and not something that um, speaks entirely to the queer experience because it's so much more than that. It's so much more political. um, And yeah, so that would probably be my, and you know, I made a joke about it last night when I walked past Noah um, watching the scene where um, Elio is like playing different, um, like, Different like versions, versions of that part. Yeah, of the. <laughs> and I was like, this movie is for white people, Noah. Um, so, you know, I'm like joking about it. But yeah, I just wonder about that a little bit. But that was just That's my... so interesting. Uh, I, I, I think there's an element of because he is like, I think his dad being that way is an element of what led this experience to happen. Again, like I think it's such a slice of life thing. That's like all these different little elements that make Elio who he is allow this experience to happen. Yeah, so many interesting things to talk about. Um, but we should move Unfortunately, on. Unfortunately, though, we got to crack on. We got to talk about Portrait of a Lady on we Fire. We do, we Yay, do. Let's do it. Portrait of a Lady on Fire came out just last year. If you listen to our best of 2019 or picking apart the year episode, it was my absolute fave movie of the year. And the Cannes Film Festival thought so too because the director, Celine Sciamma, was the first woman director to ever win the Queer Palm and the Palm d'Or, which is crazy. Damn. <laughs> which is pretty wild. <laughs> um, crazy, yeah, crazy. Yeah, the film 
is like Anthony said, I think it's a little bit more mutual. Um, the way that the two women at the center of this film fall in love and relate to each other. But it does start off with a little bit of deception because mm. the romance is between Heloise, who is this aristocratic woman who's basically being sold off to be married to some stranger, and um, Marianne, who an actress who Meg says has annoyingly small teeth. She has such small teeth. Um, I don't like her little teeth. Let her live. Okay. Um, Marianne is a really talented portrait artist and she's been secretly assigned to paint her. And it's kind of a secret um, that she has to keep from Heloise for the first like act or half of the movie. And then the pretense falls away and they're kind of just left alone in this French island to to get as much of their romance out of each other as they can before (laughs) Heloise gets sold off to this random dude. (laughs) And it makes me cry a lot. Did all of you guys cry? I saw this movie after I had heard your list and it was number one. It was the very first movie I saw on the very first day of this year. On January 1st, I saw this movie and it was my first cry of the year. I (laughs) This is like a perfect movie. Like I actually think Where Call Me By Your Name is incredible and amazing it isn't like clean in the way that this movie is in the sense that like everything wow, that's is really homophobic oh my god are you kidding me everything in this movie is like clean in exactly the way like every like screenplay wise as well like i it won best screenplay at Cannes as well right i think and it, like it's just the cleanest story i cannot believe it's textbook it, it literally it is literally textbook. Like to me, I just get blown away at the concept of like a woman having to paint another woman secretly. Therefore, she has to examine her body constantly, secretly. And it's just a move. The direction, the way the direction paints the secret glances, the all the little moments where like she will you know, sit down or rest her arm somewhere. And then you see her be like, that's the, that's the shot. I like, that's mm. the way I've, I want it. Like, as in like, because she can't have her pose for her because she's doing it in secret. Whenever she poses her hand just the right way, there's a shot of her looking and it's like, you are learning her body along with her. And then the complicated thing happens of being like, oh, but she's painting the very thing that's going to sell her to another man. Like, mm. it's so mm. incredible. Like, what that says about this like culture of just like a patriarchy where a woman that is literally adoring this woman, every element of her mm-hmm. has to like use that beautiful ability and like vulnerability to s- give her away to some dude she's never met. Yeah. I think like the really cruel irony of it is that the, like the, because she does for four people who haven't seen it, you're an idiot, but like me, <laughs> but earlier this year, um, but uh if, if for people who haven't seen it, like she paints successive paintings throughout the film and they yeah. sort of like improve in both of their eyes as time progresses. And I think the implication is that like the reason they improve is because they uh, have like a blossoming, blossoming romance over the course of the film and they learn about each other actually as people and uh, Marianne stops like in a very literal sense, objectifying Heloise and like looking her at, at her as a I series mean, of like angles and a shape I mean, like in a conventions room. and ideas that she's literally like it's expressed commonly throughout the movie. She's been taught how to paint by a man. She's been taught how to paint through conventions and ideas that were created by men. Mm. And as we see later in the movie at the art gallery and stuff, this is a man's world. This is a man's craft, just like everything. And if she even wants to paint pictures of men, she has to do it under a fake name. Mm. The idea being that when she meets, what's her, what's her? What's Heloise. Heloise. When she meets Heloise, sorry, I was mixing up the names. When she meets Heloise, Heloise, Heloise challenges her to be like, well, if you're going to do this, Heloise, if you're going to do this, you have to capture me. You, I don't want you to capture this fake version of me. Mm. Like, yeah. I think the thing that offers um, this film, its sense of tragedy is the restraint and it's so attached mm. to the period and it yeah. does mean that the film becomes like a real testament to the period itself, even just how these women are bound up in their corsets and then I think it's the first night that um, not Heloise, what's her name? Marianne. 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 Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Arrives at the... Um, in Brittany and she's like she's literally thrown herself off a boat to like grab a canvas and she's <laughs> dripping in these drenched oh, heavy yeah. like garments 
like oh. trekking up a hill and she takes it all off and she's completely like naked. The shot of her naked in, her in front room, of the fireplace. Oh in my front God. of the fireplace with her art. And it's like, oh, this is like a liberated person just trying almost th- throughout the process of the film to like liberate Heloise as well. But it is, I don't know, it speaks to the period and, and that is so beautiful. And it's something that is so in stark contrast to call me by your name. I know I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to be comparing right now, but they are so liberated in call me by your name. And it's because they are, and then at the end, they're not allowed to be Elio and Oliver, that the tragedy is there. But in this, it's that they sort of can get to, um, Marianne and Heloise can get to this idyllic version of the relationship that they want to have, but it's always, you know, in within within the confines of this bizarre patriarchy. Um, and even how, um, you know, they gather at the bonfire with all of those women and they mm. assist um the like housemaid with her <laughs> sorry abortion. i'm like laughing sorry it's like this yeah i guess what there's one celebrity who has something to support exactly the statement you're making meg our yeah. king andy samberg oh, andy, andy samberg was talking about oh, his I favorite love this. i've heard this his yeah, favorite yeah. films of last year and he made the best fucking point which is like it's a movie about women it's and just how women, uh, the yeah. space of what women create when around each other is so like safe and not toxic and, sacred. and sexuality is erotic but not like violent and not like tense and not about status yeah. it's about, about vulnerability conquest, yeah. and you don't see a man for an hour and like 20 minutes and then on the last night that they're together she goes downstairs and there's just a dude sitting there with a bowl of porridge and he's like hello and you're like <laughs> oh you watch and like, get the fuck yeah. out of here what yeah. the fuck you doing Stop and, you. Yeah. and you watch her you watch her shoulders shift back and she's like okay back into my human suit yeah and they have to pretend yeah. again yeah. and then that's what the end of the movie is is seeing her walk through crowds mm. of men being like oh yes 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 and it's like none of you but, have any fucking clue what life is none but of that's you have what a clue. andy sandberg <laughs> says he says like in that interview he's like oh i was watching this movie and halfway through i realized like this is not for me. Like, this is yeah. not for me. Like, I cannot. Yeah, and he was like, there's a, when here. there's a dude in that movie, you're just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Stop ruining the vibes. You're ruining the vibes. And that's literally what it is. Yeah. I think because of that, I, I find this film, um, like, I know I was quite critical of Call Me By Your Name in terms of its unrelatability and I'm and I'm um, celebratory of this film in its relatability. I like I keep saying, I can't speak to it because I don't know. But the that feeling of restraint and working within the confines of a world that just like is working against you um, obviously speaks to like the feminine experience probably more broadly as well. But the queer feminine experience and being a lesbian, like in any kind of way, the idea that, you know, even just like you were saying, like you don't, like your friend was saying, you don't know if you want to be that person or date that person. Like sure. that is just such an interesting idea that this film gets out so well. And it's yeah. just like the idea that the, the shared experience of women, especially in this time, is such that so little needs to be said. Like yeah, the solidarity. The conversation, the, the, solidarity the conversation where it's essentially her subtly being like, you could fight against it you could not go it isn't them like arguing it isn't her being like you should come with me it's literally the most subtle three-word statements of they know Mm. without needing to say the words what they're talking about and you know as well Mm. like yeah just so much is always implied and you always know what a glance is and you know what a touch is and Oh, it's astounding. It's such a, like, specific film for something that's so quiet and subtle and still. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible. Eliza, um, the Noah made a comment earlier about, like, uh, you, you kept referring to it as, like, the cleanness of, I guess, like, the structure and the composition yeah. of this film mm. and stuff. Um, and I think I had a thought on my rewatch that, like, potentially quite a lot of that is actually... Um, I don't want to say like handed to it, but like it it benefits from the fact that it draws pretty heavily from this like um, Greek mythology, this like Orpheus and Eurydice yeah. song oh, yeah, uh, moment so good, that is it? like uh, halfway two thirds really of the way through the this film. Time and it didn't the first time, yeah. And I guess I my I was gonna ask like what your thoughts on that were. Like I guess just a it being in the film at all and like how it plays out in their yeah. specific 
modern uh, in inverted commas uh, experience? Oh my god, what a good question! Yeah. <laughs> I freaking love the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Like when That's it great. when I first watched this movie and it got mentioned in the movie, I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this. But um, I think like it's heartbreaking by itself, like the original myth. But I love that they flip it so much in this movie. That mm. in the original, Orpheus is this heroic like he's the greatest poet greatest artist in that society and he has to rescue his wife who was like a dumb shit and died and in this it's basically the rescued damsel in distress or whatever being like we can't be together and we both know that so you need to destroy your image of me oh my god I might cry <laughs> she's like you you need to like you have captured me and now you gotta like let me go like you we have no chance of being together mm. and like I'm gonna make you look at me and see that I'm in a wedding dress and I'm gonna marry someone else and you just have to like keep going out and doing your art like that is so fucking sad dude <laughs> yeah <Cry>. and yeah <laughs> oh, <it's> so <laughs> before, before we get weepy let's oh. crack on with compare the pics because I feel like there's so there's much so much to break down with them now it's time to compare the picks. We have to choose which movie did the job it set out to do wanna. better. And they both wanna. have similar jobs. I know. Like they both, we clearly fell in love with these four, these two couples. We had our hearts broken. We cried while we were looking to the fireplace. Mm. So this is how do we start picking these apart? This is a really interesting one for me in that my vote I know what I'm going to vote for and it actually go it is it bad that I'm like it I think it fundamentally goes against kind of the no I don't think it goes against the statement of which one does its job better but I call me by your name originally was like a three and a half hour cut mm. and now it's like just over two hours so it is a movie that was filmed more with the sensibility for like we're spending a summer we're going to film a bunch of stuff and then we're going to put it all together in a beautiful way Portrait of a Lady on Fire to me is a more specific, cleaner like story in the sense that everything is exactly where it feels like it always was meant to be and was going to be to lead because it is saying such precise, specific things such as the Orpheus and Eurydice myth, like all those really like delicate textured things. But to me, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a gorgeous, difficult watch. Like the melancholy element of that movie is tragic and exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, I have returned to Call Me By Your Name a few times every year since I've seen it. And every time I feel Damn. like a better person after I've watched it, it feels like I am laying in the, like, as I said, besides all the textual stuff that we talked about before that I actually think we broke down really well, I think it is such a gorgeous film to watch. Like it makes you feel so nice and it makes you, it makes me so happy that I get to watch movies. Like I just think it's mm. a gorgeous film and I, I relate to that film more personally in the sense of like, yeah, just what it is when you, have a crush and you're like, I feel more alive than I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of being like, I can't wait to wake up. Is he down there? Mm -hmm. You're like looking down the window and also just seeing Timmy do like a lot of stupid things. And I'm like, I do dumb things like that. And honestly, I've never felt like a very macho boy. I've never felt like a very aggressive person. I watch a movie like Call My By Your Name and I'm like, oh my God, there are other like sensitive little dorks like me. <laughs> I, was, I was that at 17. Like that... I see so much of myself in that kid and mm. I'm just like, oh my God, thank the Lord that movie exists. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that gives you a hint at what mine will be. Uh, <laughs> Anthony, think, what about oh you? Oh my gosh. Do you think that like, I wonder if it is the implication of what you're saying that you think that um, potentially Call Me By Your Name might be starting to uh, pull in front for you a little bit as a film because you think that what Portrait of a Lady on Fire was trying to do was equally make you feel like comfortable yeah. and seen in the same way or like make you think that the characters in that relationship felt like comfortable and seen because of the story that they go through together and you think that's done better in Call Me By Your Name? Yeah, do you think Portrait Ooh. of a Lady on Fire was trying to do that as well? Um... Because, I mean, I don't think it's trying to make you comfortable, Yeah, I guess. 
Which uh, one? Por- Por- Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I don't, I don't think yeah. it is either as much. I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is trying to tell a story, like a deeply human story of like humans trying to be their beautiful selves in like a complicated world. And Call Me By Your Name is more like a slice of life look at something that is a bit melancholy, but mostly just beautiful. That's like funny. he isn't going to regret that yeah. his whole life. And I feel like Portrait of Lady on Fire is, even though they're never going to regret it either, and one of the most beautiful sentiments of the movie is don't regret. Mm-hmm. Re- what do they say? Don't regret, remember. Mm-hmm. That sentiment. It's a movie where you just watch and you're like, some people were born in the wrong time. Like yeah. as if people that like that had to go through that, like exist in those times that... I think if I talk about the function they're trying to serve, I feel the function of Call Me By Your Name because of who I am and Mm. all those things more so. Yeah. I think I wonder now if it's just, if it's like in some way a bit of a gendered experience. I think it might be. I I get that more from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, I bet. I watch it and I can't relate to the romantic aspect between the two women but I can certainly relate to the experience of um, discomfort and like, um, you know, obviously the context they're within that just like lends itself to like the suffering of this, um, of these women, like in this world. And I think you are right that it plays so well into the idea of like, this is just like the wrong, like right people, wrong time kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, I can't, I can't relate to call me by your name in the way that I mildly can to portrait of a lady on fire. Um, I think something else that I feel about um, portrait of a lady on fire is in its um, like, I think it's, it, it doesn't deal so heavy handedly with the, um, I don't know. I don't know whether this is sort of like an unfair criticism of Call Me By Your Name, but I find that Call Me By Your Name is very heavy handed in how it leans into the context and the lush, you know, European environment. And um, it seems like you feel like it's just a bit like for your taste, it's a bit too escapist or yes, escapist. even overly romantic. That is the word I was looking for, Eliza. That's so interesting Thank you to so me. much. I adore that's like my favorite element of that movie. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't get You're the totally word. You're totally allowed to. That's, that, that, that makes articulated sense. it perfectly. I found Call Me By Your Name to be a little bit escapist and I don't find that with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And if we're speaking about the connection that these films share and like why we've brought them to the table, um, to the red table talk, um, we, we're talking about like their place within the queer cinema and I think like it's a more important discussion that's being had in Portrait of a Lady, or not even more important, but more um, more like capturing to me. Interesting. I think, so I, I really want to ask Liz how you feel about the function one, but I actually think in the space of queer cinema, isn't there an element of being like Portrait of a Lady on Fire is more so the tragic, tortured people who don't get to be together Element, which is a big trope, especially in films about lesbians at the moment. Community. Where it's like a period exactly, film is, about two sad and lesbians. Like Ammonites, <laughs> which is less empowering to the queer community than a story, which is, even though they don't get to be together, is a story, Call Me By Your Name is a story about like a beautiful summer. Yeah. That feels like it was always going to be that. Whereas there's, you know, they know from day one they can't be together. Whereas yeah. there is always the fibre in Portrait of Lady on Fire of like, what if they just ran away or something? I don't know. I think there's a bit more of a like... I feel I feel the tragedy of Portrait of Lady on Fire more. Liz, what do you think about that one, about the, the function of both the movies for you? Oh, I think it's interesting what you said, Noah, about Call Me By Your Name being like quite a shortcut of actually an originally really long film. And I think mm-hmm. it ties into why Portrait of a Lady on Fire is definitely my pick, mm-hmm. which is like I think if a movie can combine its story and like subject matter with the way it's told in such a perfect way, like the way it's directed, like this, Mm. I feel kind of guilty about how few movies I watch made by the female like filmmakers Mm. or whatever. And this is a big one where I'm like, whoa, movies could look like this. Like movies could be made through the female gaze or like a non-binary gaze or whatever, or like, and they would be so completely different. Mm. Like it really characterizes this movie. And I think like, 
call me by your name. In the past, Luca Guadagnino has pissed me off by saying, like about Suspiria. I love his Suspiria movie mm-hmm. that he came out with a few years ago. But he said, I wanted to make a movie through the female gaze. It's like, you can't. Sorry. Hey, you're not going to do that. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Why don't you you just, can like, really try and that's that. a cool aim. That's so yeah, true. But like, given the choice, I would watch Portrait of Lady on Fire and get sucked into this weird utopian world where it's like just women and their art and their yeah, work. Exactly. <laughs> they're silently they're dancing like dancing around a playing cards. Yeah. <laughs> Giving totally. each other abortions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the dream, man. Oh. Anthony. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, the final decider. You? Final decider. Um, Wait, yeah, yeah this is just like, we've essentially yeah. voted. I'm yeah. called by your name. Is this, we've got two the portra- women have said portrait, yeah. the boys. This well, is we'll see. Uh, so he's going to say portrait. I know those eyes. He's going to say portrait. He's not. He's not. Oh, I, I like that there's no consensus in the room about what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> I think, um, I think when I, uh, just before I went to rewatch these for this episode, I think, um, which I, I realize now is actually often a test for me of like what a film has done for me and stuff experientially is like mm. how I remember it a while after oh, I've seen it. That. It's like mm-hmm. what what parts of it stick with me, stuff. both like what new visually, yeah. what like lines stick out with me, uh, what parts of the like the structure and the, the plot devices and whatever. Mm. Um, and I think like, I think despite how, um, despite how like, gorgeous and really like intoxicating call me by your name was to me I think that the main takeaway that I had from it actually is that it felt a lot more like Elio's story Mm. and it felt like weirdly despite I think some of the implications of like power imbalance and stuff that you were talking about before of like one of the people in the relationship being older and like more experienced and like more uh, at peace with his sexuality already and that sort of stuff that despite all of that it felt a lot more about like Elio uh, discovering his own sexuality and his own place in the world and that sort of stuff more than it was about sort of the relationship itself to me um and it was about sort of like distinction you're right the fantasy and the beauty of that environment and like having that the the luxury and the privilege of having that environment as a space in which to sort of like come out and to discover yourself um and like that was all fantastic to me but it was less about I, I think I fundamentally see the two films in a really simplistic way as like love stories. Mm. And I think mm. based off that, Call Me By Your Name is less of a love story to me, actually. I actually think so true. Because mm. of... If we're just talking about being like, it's actually very true it's that we've talked about so this. many things <laughs> that I'm actually like, we got away from the fact that I actually think you're right. Fundamentally, they're love stories. In, in Portrait of yeah. a Lady on Fire, there's this like astonishing sequence, which I didn't, I didn't pick up on this until my recent rewatch but um there's a bit in it where um i can't remember which iteration of the portrait they're working on at this point but um marianne's standing at the easel and she's sort of like talking that they're having a dialogue about like um heloise's um i think it's a it's about like her expression or like the way that she's holding her body in in the pose that she's in um after she decides to pose for the painting rather than uh marianne needing to do it like surreptitiously and stuff and um they're talking about the way that she's sitting in the room and there's this really clever sequence where the first shot that you see is um, Marianne close up and then it cuts away to shots of Heloise when she's talking in more of a mid-establishing shot, like further back in Mm. the room, and you see her as a subject Mm. in the sense that she's the subject of the painting. And then as the discussion develops and they're talking about like what she's trying to capture from the image and from Heloise and stuff, Marianne walks over to her and they're talking like closely to each other. And the two of them are in the same shot and sharing the same space. And there's this sort of discussion about uh, of Heloise sort of prompting Marianne to think about being on the receiving end of this exchange. Oh, and, yeah. and there's this dialogue about like, Oh, when she's like, it's, it's I'm about watching like, you this whole time. Yeah, it's I'm about like empathy and yeah. like reciprocation of yeah. the way that they see each other and stuff. And yeah. then after they've had this exchange, Marianne walks back to the easel and now Heloise is in a close-up shot and you're seeing it from her perspective mm. and Marianne is in an establishing shot, like a mid-establishing yeah. shot and she's further away and it, it flips it around. That in reciprocity this, thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, it, uh, essentially like to sum it up, I think that there's just this like, 
really like indescribably beautiful like mutual respect and understanding and stuff That's that so happens stated and yeah. unspoken yeah. yeah in portrait of a lady on fire which i think is just less of an element of call me by your name for me despite how uh, like well it's put together and stuff so i yeah. have lost on this podcast more <laughs> than anyone i always pick the losing team that's fine that's so yeah, fine that's my vote i love Yay! an episode where we get two great movies we absolutely love it yeah that was thrilling that was genius that almost made me cry all over again right Oh, that's such a good scene. Yeah, oh, and the, yeah, the ending also was just like oh, well, jaw-dropping. We didn't even talk oh. about both the endings of this movie. Oh, incredible. Go watch the movies. Sad so well done, Portrait of a Lady of Fire. We love. Wow. Now let's fire up these freaking triplets in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> Now it's time for Triplet in the Attic where we each got to pick, we each got to pick a third piece of media that we think would be a really good double feature to Call Me By Your Name and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I would love to hear from my little sister on fire, Megan, first. <laughs> okay, this girl's on fire. I've got, I don't know why I said that. I hate that I said that. This girl is on fire. <laughs> oh, I want you to do that. That's that. good. Oh, well. um, <laughs> okay, my Triplet in the Attic. Um, I was thinking of saying Suspiria because I knew I was going to go with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Suspiria. And I was like, maybe Guadagnino like, needs to Give him some love, yeah. But I have actually decided to go with a book that was suggested by Eliza to our family mm. book club. Mm. Um, very mm. boldly so, um, I thought, because we have like somewhat conservative family members. But <laughs> it's a book called In the Dream House written by Carmen Maria Mercado. And it is a really interesting, um, uh, it's a, it's an autobiography, but it's written in this really interesting like space. She, she incorporates elements of like folk storytelling and she used footnotes in a really interesting way. And it's her account of a, um, abusive, domestic abusive relationship with a woman, um, but also her account of the like queer experience itself. Um, it speaks to the lack of visibility in the queer community of um, abusive relationships between women. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, it's it's so beautiful, um, and it's very moving. And you know, at one one chapter you're laughing, one chapter you're. It's, it's more like vignettes, very short little chapters. It's really. I, I read it in I like five books. hours. It was. Yes. It's fantastic. It's Sick. such an interesting piece of queer literature and I think it's something everyone should read. And it was a great recommendation to our book club by Eliza. So I'm bringing thank you, it thank here. You. Oh, teamwork. Well done, guys. Yeah, it's kind of, you can see the link between that and Portrait of a Lady on Fire as well where it's like, absolutely, you know, the secret history of like um, queer people where yeah. it's like, they, you know, in, in the dream house, she's like says that she's going to try and create this archive of like stories about queer relationships and like even abusive queer relationships yeah it's like this retelling like, if you go through history it's literally not there yeah, like you, you just can't find so anyone gonna... in history that's written about it yeah it's so it's so well done i really recommend it so yeah that's Ooh. cool amazing noah i think i know what yours is can i guess i want you to guess and i promise you you're not going to get it go for um, it i'm actually pretty happy with my is one. it the musical hades town Oh, that would have been clever, wouldn't it? <laughs> there's actually a few things that use the Orpheus and Eurydice thing, right? Like there's Hades yeah. Town. There's another musical as well that everyone says they feel really bad for it because oh. it's also really good, but it is also um, like musical with like bluegrassy folk music oh, about dude. Orpheus and Eurydice. And I was like, damn it. That's it came really out. So like, That's terrible. How sad is that? And apparently it's really, really good. And it's like... Oh. It just didn't get picked up for stuff because everyone's like, well, Anthony, Hades Town do you know Hades Town? Hades, so. No, I know the name, Musical? but I don't know. It's such a great I know show. nothing yeah. about it. I have a friend who's listening to this podcast who I think would be great in the role of Eurydice, right? That's the one that is like the main Eurydice. The bon- That's like, um, yeah, have you listened yeah. to it, Eliza? The- I, li- oh, I, I think I've only listened to, really listened yeah. to like well, Car- the old Car- album that came out ages ago. Yeah. But not the well, Karis Oka, who listens to this musical. podcast, when mo- most of what I connect to Hades Town is that she'd be great in that show. Mm. Um, my pick is I was thinking about how something that 
Well, obviously everything stuck out to me in watching that glorious film, but my first watch of Portrait of a Lady on Fire was being swept away in, you know, what it was saying about, you know, this very human, intimate experience and this queer experience. But this watch I thought a lot more about the, the connection to painting and, like, a skill and how the movie kind of connects painting to sexuality and, and intimacy. So I was trying to think about great movies about paintings because it's actually like randomly a lot of great movies about like a painting and the story behind a painting, which I think is something very interesting. And I thought about this great Danny Boyle film that I haven't seen in a long time uh-huh. and re-watching it was so good. It's called Trance and it's one of Danny Boyle's like really, I, I would guess it's like his lowest grossing film or something. But honestly, like, I think his style suits it so well. Like it's, it's kind of like a mystery thriller about like an art auctioneer played by James McAvoy, uh, who kind of becomes an accessory to the theft of this painting, which is, what is it? Francisco Goya's witches in the air uh and about how he like gets amnesia and can't remember where he hid the painting and it's so good and I think it really suits his Danny Boyle's direction style which I quite like about it like I commonly see Boyle do things I'm like I think your directing is really cool but sometimes you do projects that like I don't think super suit you or something like I don't know like Steve Jobs I think it's really underrated and really good like Steve Jobs, like uh, 127 Hours is fine, I guess, but those kind of like survive. It, it's obviously the best of those survival movies. I'm always just like, do I want him to do like 70s style espionage things or like, like, you know, he's going to do a Bond movie. I was like, that's sick. You should do that. Or like mm. mysteries or thrillers or heists, like, or like pulpy things. I think that suits him a bit more than like doing like more prestige biopics and stuff. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Yeah. That's what I vibe. Maybe yeah. it's just when you get older, you just get born and you want to do stuff that will get you awards and will get you to work with famous people. <laughs> probably. That, hey, that probably is it. But hey, all these I years later. I can't wait to get to that do you, do you remember we went to go? Do you remember when we went to go see Trance? Do I need to remind you? Yes. It's quite funny. That, why did we see that? I feel How like I was like that? five years because old. <laughs> it was like me, not when I was first getting into movies, but it was the height of my Empire Magazine days. And like they really wrote it up, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds kind of interesting." And I took you and Meg and Mum to see it, and there's there's a lot of bush in the movie, as in like a lot of naked ladies. Yeah, I remember that and being a like, theme, talking about oh. like pubes and how hot they are and stuff, yeah. or, like how it's sexy when a woman like shaves her pubes. Like I remember being like, "Should I watch this?" <laughs> That's like the <laughs> time we went to there. go see Black Swan. Do you remember that? Oh. We were children and every, yeah. we, we were in like the back row. And as we were walking from the front up to the back, all the oldies were like giving us, giving our mom like <laughs> the side eye. They were like, oh my God, how could you? But we loved it. At that point oh we God. were like knee deep in Evil Dead and, you know, Halloween. No, Whatever. Halloween. Well, yeah, all those things. Anyway, Anthony, what are I your like track. Trance, me- trance, movie trance, memes? Trance. I was going to ask Anthony, what are his like movie memories of seeing something you're oh, like yeah. way too young to see? Um, oh. Of being way too young to see the, well, certainly the first thing, maybe the only thing that springs to mind is um, I watched the second Matrix in cinemas as like, I can't remember how old I was, but um, no, I was like pretty bad. young. But oh, if you were that, and, um, that and I saw Pan's Labyrinth in cinemas oh. and I was like way oh, too crap. young for it and I didn't get through <laughs> it. Yeah, it just, you would have been young for that. I Like I'm not... I'm not now very well equipped to deal with horror films, but at the time we'll I just have to absolutely knock that couldn't right handle out it. Of the so, way. Yeah, it um, is criminal how little horror movies we do on this goddamn podcast. Yeah, I just yeah, it's I'd, just wild. I'd really bad. I really do just roll over for all you bitches, don't I? Sorry, that was a bit aggressive. <laughs> no, we do so many movies that are like your thing. That you're we do with. not. Are you kidding? Yes, we do. We're about to do Enter the Dragon next. I've been episode. asking to do this episode <laughs> for a year. I brought it up you i have brought up doing enter the dragon and the crow every single time we've recorded for a year but that's fine because i love (laughs) movies and we're about to do it yeah exactly and we're about to do it that's very true yeah anyway Um, what i was gonna say what moment do you remember what bit in pan's labyrinth you were like 
okay, that's enough. I can't handle this. I think the um, I think the the monster that uh, gets the eyes on its hands bit oh, just oh happened. The food yeah. bit in that movie that actually is like. I remember more than anything randomly is not the like when he smashes the bottle in the dude's face. The guy cutting yes. his own mouth, and he has to and he has Stitching to sew, own- st- stitch it back up. That uh, is gnarly as hell. Brutal. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so anyway. Anthony, wow. what do you have? A little triplet boy. Yeah, I I have two. So I have two, and the reason I have two is because they're songs, and I thought that maybe one song was a bit of an insubstantial pairing to a full length. <laughs> feature film uh-huh. so um i've got two f- songs and uh one of them definitely describes a queer male romance and the other one i don't know for a fact describes a queer female romance but i like to believe that it does um and is a bit more of an abstract take so is it like f- a taylor swift song or something? it's not a taylor swift song <laughs> very, very close um the the first is um uh, a song called forrest gump by frank ocean and is Ooh. Frank Ocean like retelling the the movie Forrest Gump that from sick. the perspective of um, a like young gay man and talking and the, the, he uses all of these the the core uh, chorus hook is this like play on words about him running where he's like um he's the chorus is like Forrest Gump running on my mind boy and he's like spent this whole album saying all of this like kind of sexually ambiguous stuff that like you realize in hindsight before Frank Ocean came out um as uh potentially being directed at anyone but it's like the last track on his album Channel Orange and it's like suddenly very explicitly like directed towards a man and stuff anyway it's just a really fun song and uh I feel like has quite a lot in common with Call Me By Your Name um and um the second song is a song called Levitation by a band called Beach House and um this one is like a very abstract take and I don't know yeah for sure uh, that is about uh, a queer relationship but um it Who when it I listen sorry who was a bar Beach, Beach House. House so they're a US band they're often called like dream pop they do it this song in particular is like extremely kind of like floaty and stuff and um it reminds me of I think just the atmosphere of uh Portrait of a Lady on Fire more than anything else but there's a lot of like really beautiful imagery talked about um uh and it um reminds me of this film so yeah those two songs wow damn Eliza, is it this this boy, Anthony, just like wildly intelligent? What a beautiful mind, truly. Whenever he yes. waxes poetic, I'm just like, damn, you're operating somewhere else. That's I mean, incredible. I've just I feel like I've just brought a, a triplet to the table that like potentially has nothing to do with either of the films. So I wouldn't be no, like shouting my prayers too hardly. Good on you. No, dude, death of the author. You can interpret it however you wish. And yeah, so I, true. I just Google the lyrics and I'm like. Yeah, Anthony is completely right. <laughs> yeah. Even though I don't know the song, but I'm so excited to know it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go listen. Go read uh, the lyrics. Eliza, what about you? What do you think? Oh, I was just going to, my, my triplet is really silly, but I was just going to say, what does wax poetic mean? Waxing? I what? never go, I say it a lot as well. Wax poetic. I've heard um, waxing lyrical is as an expression, yeah. but damn it. Is, but is that waxing? actually true? I think it's, can I, I think not say wax both. poetic? I'm going to look it up. No, both are valid. Okay, They're both cool. phrases. I love it though. Don't you but think it's waxing. fun? I think it's just like, yeah, I don't know why waxing. I think it's just like using maybe like unnecessarily flowery language or like, um, <laughs> like, yeah, being like really ornate in the way that you're like presenting something. I'm going to look it up while Eliza mm. tells us about a triplet okay. in the attic. My triplet in the attic. I already said I love the Orpheus and Eurydice um, Greek myth mm. and I remember playing this I never play video games I don't like video games at all but I played this um, flash game on my computer oh my when I was God. little that confirmed my love of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth this is a platform game called Don't Look Back and in the game Whoa. you play as Orpheus and you have to travel around and like just bounce on like these different platforms and kill demons and snakes and stuff and at the end, you see Eurydice and you have to do the whole game backwards. 
to get back Whoa, to the land of the living. Oh, that's really it's clever. It's so good. That's but like incredible. whatever you're picturing, like you might be picturing like a really like photorealistic like Skyrim amazing thing. It's just like stick figures pretty much. Oh, like okay. it's just such a good <laughs> freaky game. And I remember being so scared by it and so like drawn into it. Mm, and wow. I won the game. I never finished games. So oh, you did it. Well done. Yeah. Anthony, yeah. what were your mini cliff games? Whoa. Um, oh. Club Penguin doesn't count because we all did Club Penguin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, June Buggy. That's not a game. That's there a was community. This one called, <laughs> that's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> there was this one called June Buggy, which I think you were basically just like a buggy and you had to get to the end of like <laughs> an obstacle racing course type Classic. thing. But like you're super bouncy and so you like, you're constantly just like flipping one. yourself oh, you over, do the tr- yeah, yeah, landing I, on I the roof. No, exactly what it is. Yeah. That one comes to mind pretty readily. Amazing. Good shit, um, yeah. Eliza, remember Nitromi? Yeah, they were the best. There was the head smash one. Mm. Where he had like, there was like a little boy. He had like a really fat head. <laughs> he like <laughs> flew into shit. Oh, yeah. And he just like smashed, smashed blocks. Actually a great game. Yeah, literally. Mm. Yeah. Um, I remember really loving those games where like um, you draw like a line and a little sleigh or like a little Santa will go down it. And like some people would make like insanely yes. elaborate like obstacle courses totally. with a little sleigh. There's the, that one so of good. those that synced up to... um. Uh, in the hall of the mountain king um yes, and it's, oh it syncs oh, wow. up to this like line drawing where there's like a little dot or a little stick figure or something that's like slides down it and every time it hits a ramp there's like a note in the classical piece oh that's and it's sick oh it's incredible God. we've really just gone backwards like mm. what ps5 i don't care <laughs> are you giving me penguins in a club yeah <laughs> like that's all i want throwing snowballs at each other <laughs> yeah oh well Oh my god! This truly, you know what? Christmas was pretty stressy at times, but talking about some great movies really just eases my little soul. That's what Christmas is all about. Yeah, Um, yeah. We need to thank our (laughs) listeners for listening to this episode of Twin Peaks. Um, You know, it's so much fun meeting up, even if Meg is not around to (laughs) be able to chat with us about her mini clip games. Like, (laughs) we're so stoked to make these episodes for you and we're so stoked to kick off the new year with partnership from the That's Not Canon podcast network. Exactly. Um, If there are any new listeners, we love having you. Yeah, and we'd love to hear what you thought. So please leave us a review or shoot us an email at twinpixpodcast at gmail.com. And we've also put out some nice like end of year things and like things about Christmas movies on roughcutfilm.com. If you're, if you've just finished this episode and want to hear more film stuff, go on there. That is very sick. You can also check out our Facebook and Instagram uh, where we keep, as well as letting you know what the next episode is and like where you can find it with some links. We also have, you can vote on your own pick. We have links to the triplet in the attics for this week. So I'll probably pop some of Anthony's songs up there. Mm. Um, yeah, lots of fun things for you. And join us next week to Wax Poetic about an episode <laughs> I have been excited to do since day one. We are doing <laughs> Enter the Dragon and The Crow, two incredible oh, movies with a really tragic connection that I am truly so excited to talk yeah. to you about. Wax poetic, more like watching some poetic whacking because they're like punching Whack. and kicking yeah, and stuff, more like you know, the wax. wax on, wax off. <gasps> yeah. The wrong oh, film, dude. Anthony. Yeah, I've definitely not dude, seen that I film. Dude, I straight up talked for 20 seconds about what a big brain you have. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? I'm trying to bring balance to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, literally. Anthony, thank you for um, bringing these movies to us. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you have any thoughts that we didn't app. let you get out? Because we're all too excited and emotional about these movies. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. I think I mean, I'm equally excited and emotional, so I, it's very yeah. possible I have extra thoughts. But um, for that, you'll have to uh, listen to my spin-off podcast only talking about Portrait <laughs> of a Lady on Fire every episode. <laughs> for a year which is definitely happening what's it called oh my god portraits of a man and a mic (laughs) yes Rathone on fire (laughs) fire fire emoji we can do better we can do better yeah we'll workshop that yeah cool (laughs) i derailed us okay bye (laughs) bye now (laughs) 